major. We've been talking about Louis Zamperini all month. We'll have a clip you haven't seen yet um, related to our topic and the teenager we're talking about this morning is Joseph, one of my very favorite young people in the Bible whose biography is captured in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. If you came this morning without a Bible, raise your hand. I want you to have one. And if you don't own one, our Bibles are our gift to you. Let me tell you, I think Joseph, I'm going to borrow uh, a young person's language, is one of the cleanest young people in the whole Bible. He is clean. This guy is off the charts clean. This guy went suffered. At age 17, he was very partially treated by his dad. His dad loved him. He was his youngest son out of 11. And uh, his, he, he had a dream one day, and the dream was that someday his brothers would bow down to him. The problem with the dream is he shared it with his brothers. And, and then he, he had another dream, and that dream was that it would include even his parents would bow down to him. And he, he, his parents got wind of this, and they were, they were like, Joseph, these dreams are out of control. Well, listen, Joseph's brothers got so perturbed at him, their jealousy turned into anger. And that anger, as sin does, it turned into hatred. That hatred turned into a desire to kill. They plotted a rouse to actually kill their youngest brother. No exaggeration. It was their oldest brother, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, who actually intervened and talked the brothers out of taking Joseph's life. Joseph was then sold to a nomadic tribe um, in the uh, the palace in the in the Canaan area. Sold, and he was taken down to Egypt by them, and then he was sold again to Potiphar, the captain of the guard under Pharaoh's leadership. And Joseph was a great worker at age 17, great worker, very upright. And he often worked in Potiphar's house. And on one occasion, this is all in Genesis 37, 38, uh, and 39. In, in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. She liked him more than she should have. And she started chasing him around the house. I'm serious, not to do the dishes. And uh, she, she got so perturbed by his unwillingness to, to even be close to her or to compromise, he, he, said, uh, he said, you know, everything, everything in your husband's household has been given to me to care for. I am not going to even be close to you. He had the right kind of character. He literally ran for, uh, for safety, ran from her when she accosted him. However, the problem was she caught a portion of his clothing. She, when her husband came home from work, she said, that new employee you have in our home, Joseph, he tried to, he tried to, uh, tried to rape me. And Potiphar believed his wife. Joseph went to prison. Here's this guy who has incredible integrity, who goes to prison in an underground prison, in, we're talking about 2000 B.C., where they didn't have regulations, you know, that everyone got a waffle for breakfast and everyone got a nice Subway sandwich for lunch, that every room was air-conditioned, that, you know, everyone had access to direct TV. I mean, this was an underground prison. He entered at age 17. So here's, here's the insanity of this. 
You, you do what's right. You do what's honorable. God gives you a tremendous vision, and you go to jail. He went to jail for 13 years. This is all captured in Genesis 37 through chapter 50. He went to jail, and he, uh, in jail, he developed some skills. One of them was a management leadership style that's really amazing and was used later in his life. So jail actually was a place for him to learn a, a trade, actually, of management that served him well. But he, he developed another, what I would say, another spiritual gift. I believe the first was one, and so is this. The other spiritual gift was a gift of dream interpretation. And so he interpreted dreams for, on one occasion, for a couple of employees of Pharaoh. And, one of the, and he was accurate with both interpretations. And then eventually, Pharaoh himself had a very haunting dream. He had it twice. And Pharaoh wanted someone who could interpret the dream. And one of those inmates that uh, Joseph, whose dream Joseph interpreted accurately said, you know what, there's this guy in prison. He is good. They brought Joseph up. He interpreted the dream accurately. He was considered to have such integrity and wisdom that Pharaoh made him the number two guy in all of Egypt. And then fast forward a few years, there's a famine in Canaan, Joseph's hometown. And Joseph's brothers, now numbering 11, because Benjamin, his youngest brother through Rachel's been born, Joseph's brothers come up, not all of them. They, they, rather, I should say, they come down to Egypt looking for grain. And who is it that's in charge of grain distribution in all of Egypt? Any guess? It's Joseph. And so Joseph is being reconciled with the very brothers that wanted to kill him after some 13-plus years. Here's the question I want to ask this morning. How do I forgive those who've hurt me? How do I forgive those who've harmed me? How do I forgive those who had intentions to to really mess with me? Whether they were conscious about it or non-conscious about it. What do I do? As it relates to Louis Zamperini, whom we've talked about, and you'll see a clip of him just here in a minute. As it relates to Louis Zamperini... When he returned from World War II, his PTSD was so bad that he viewed, his, he viewed vengefulness as the only way to deal with his sleepless nights because of the inhumane way he was treated at that Japanese POW camp. The only way he could get through the night was through alcohol. Otherwise, he had haunting, horrific dreams all the time. The paradox of vengefulness is that it makes men or women dependent upon those who've harmed them, believing that their release from pain will come only when they make their tormentors suffer. In other words, until my tormentors suffer like I have, I'll never be freed of my anger. In seeking the bird's death to free himself, Louis had chained himself. I love that song we sing today under Lauren's direction that, Our sin can chain us. Once again, to his tyrant, Louis had chained himself to the bird even after he returned to the States. Do you ever have 
someone whom you're so angry at, so bitter at, that you feel chained by anything they say or do. During the war, the bird had been unwilling to let go of Louis. It was gross, if you've read it. After the war, Louis was unable to let go of the bird. Do you have someone whom you've been unable to let go of? I hope this morning helps you see God's purpose. His purpose and his plan on how he deals with evil and harm as it comes our way. Check Louis' ability to forgive here. So when I spoke at Tagalog Prison in 1950, I didn't know what our freedom was going in there, a military compound. And so I just gave my story and told about my conversion. And then I sat down and the colonel came over and said, aren't you going to give him a chance to become a Christian? So I got back up and about 60% raised their hands. I said, this will in no way shorten your term here. It won't benefit if it's you except you in your heart. And then 50%, 10% kept their hand down, about 450. And uh, then they, they asked those who knew me to come forward on the side of the front of the room. And then I began to recognize them. Uh, all my guards were there, and I asked them, where's the bird? They said, well, we think he committed Harry Kiri. Instead, Rada Mihailovich, who was the head of sports at CBS then, well, he called me one day and said, uh, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. He said, get a hold of your chair. I said, what's up? He said, get a hold of your chair. I said, what's up? He says, we found the bird. He's alive. Man, I almost fainted. We always thought he was dead. So they interviewed him. They got that film of him on the show. But he was hiding out in the hills of Nagano in a cabin until amnesty. Then he came out, went to his parents, who had a lot of money, became a millionaire. And uh, But then as I began to study the scriptures and began to grow in the Lord, I began to think, you know, I wonder how I'd feel if I saw him face to face and looked into those same ugly eyes. How would I feel? I know I forgive him. And I want to go back there and tell him that. If you hate somebody and you can't forgive, you're hurting yourself. It's like throwing a boomerang and misses his target, comes back and hits you in the head. For Joseph, it was his brothers and family, Potiphar and his wife, that harmed him, that hurt him, that, according to the New American Standard Version, that allowed evil to control them and their behavior towards Joseph. For Louis, it was the bird, his POW camp director, that he was enchained to. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Genesis chapter 50. I want to read... What I think is the summary verse of Joseph's experience in Genesis. It's amazing that his biography covers almost almost 25% of Genesis itself. But in Genesis chapter 50, uh, I'll begin reading in verse 18. When his brothers realized that their father, Jacob, had passed away, uh, funeral processions had already been taken care of. There was a 70-day memorial for their father, Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. They were very concerned about now that their dad's gone, how is their youngest brother, Joseph, 
almost their youngest brother, second to Benjamin, housing in the Tredom. Now Joseph's in control, right? Now he can take them out. What's he going to do? What do you do when you have and are in a position to really carry out vengeance? What do you do? Here's what Joseph said, beginning in verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. How do I forgive those who've hurt me? How do you do it? I think you follow Joseph's words. And you see that God has repurposed harm or evil for you. When you look at people who've harmed you or, uh, or conscientiously or unconscientiously, when you look back at people who maybe even have allowed evil to control them for a moment and have come against you or your family, you know that God has nothing to do with evil. He didn't cause it to happen. But God has this crazy ability to take what others meant for harm or evil and turn it into something good. Let me proof text this for you. Let me show you how this is so true. About a thousand years after this narrative in Genesis, a psalmist wrote in Psalm 105 about Joseph's experience. Psalm 105, verses 16 through 19. If you want to turn there, I, I've never taught from this psalm, but I've always found it very intriguing that a psalmist, a writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, could give such detail about Joseph's prison experience a thousand years after. That's the Holy Spirit. Psalm 105, I'm going to begin reading in verse 16 and following. This psalmist is describing in detail what Joseph experienced. Here it is. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put into irons. Till, until what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of peoples set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. I love this particular point. That Joseph, that the, that the psalmist is saying that Joseph was put in prison until the word of the Lord proved true. What was the word of the Lord? Turn back to Genesis 37. And you'll see that Joseph's dreams were not just because he went to bed uh, having eaten too much sugar or because he played too many video games. Joseph had dreams that were inspired by the Holy Spirit from God. Genesis 37, verse 5 and following. Here, here, 
Here is the word of the Lord that was proved true in Joseph's life. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Boy, if you have a dream like that, think carefully about whether or not to share it with family members. But the word of the Lord was proved true to Joseph. It took 13 years before Joseph's, before this word, this prophecy that came through a dream was actually fulfilled. Do you know, sometimes it takes, from our standpoint, time before God keeps his word in a very palpable, visible, three-dimensional way. He keeps his word daily. But sometimes we have to wait. See God repurpose harm for or evil for you. Watch him, as you look back, take someone who either conscientiously or unconscientiously tried to harm you or hurt you and Look back and see, wow, I owe them a thank you. Thank you to Potiphar's wife because she taught me I I should never be in a home with a woman that I'm not married to. Uh, Unless she's a daughter-in-law or, you know, a daughter. I should be very conscientious about being alone with someone that I'm not married to. That was a good lesson. It was just 13 years of prison. Reminded him of that. Sometimes God has lessons for us that are very, very important. Another lesson he learned was how to manage and deal with inmates. Can you imagine being with those inmates? I don't know how many there were. Maybe 50, maybe 500. But he was put in charge by the warden over all of them. The warden was very pleased with him. Can you imagine inmates might have some different kind of personalities, personality types? Maybe kind of like how you feel in the morning when you get up real early and you don't want to, Right? Joseph learned to love them and care for them. In fact, in one narrative, he showed compassion to the one that was depressed. Joseph learned to love people. Like Jesus, he was one who showed mercy. Jesus said, I desire mercy. I desire compassion. Joseph learned this. How does God take something that's evil and turn it into something that's good? I think we have a great example right here with us this morning. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 6. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. It will be on the screen. Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before the life of Jesus, and this is what he said. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
and we killed him on the cross. Where is the cross? Is the cross up today? Is it up? No. Sorry about that. We ran out of speaker space because we have ballet floors up here, so it wasn't, it wasn't intentional neglect. The cross was a very evil event because God sent his son, and we killed him. That's evil. Agreed? Agreed? Is that evil? Is it evil to kill God's son? Yeah. But God used something very evil to become something very good. That very cross that should we look on it as something that was allowed by God the Father as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins because it becomes that which cleanses us of all of our sins once for all. God took something very evil, something very harmful, intentionally and conscientiously harmful and evil, and turned it into something good. He repurposed the cross for good. He repurposed the cross for good. He does the same in your life. Because of his his omniscience, his omnipresence, he can take harm or evil done conscientiously or uh, unconscientiously in your life and turn it into something that's good. He doesn't cause evil, but he can turn it in to something good. There is a word of the Lord that has not yet been fulfilled, but that will be fulfilled. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. Here it is. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, rather. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Joseph was a type of Jesus. Everyone was going to bow down to Joseph according to this dream he had in Genesis 37. And according to what one of Jesus' closest colleagues, the Apostle Paul, wrote, and everything he wrote was straight from Jesus, there's going to come a day when everyone will bow the knee before Jesus Christ and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so our mission is to actually bring this kind of hope to to this imperfect world we live in and give people a chance for the first time to make Jesus the Lord of their life so that they bow now when they have the free will to. When they face him someday, they won't have the free will to bow. They will bow. We want them to make that decision now. How do I forgive those who've hurt me? Well, first, you've got to see God repurpose harm or, or evil for you. See him repurpose it. Secondly, you want to see God repurpose your own life. Your life becomes a a hope, a a compassion, a a kindness distribution factory. I love the fact that we're honoring Compassion 365 volunteers today because it's that spirit that really moved Joseph. Joseph spoke kindly to his brothers. Do you have any friends or family to whom you need to speak kindly to? 
Joseph was willing to provide for their children. Do you have any family or extended family that you feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting you to actually help provide for? And Joseph was forgiving, much like Louis was. This is Louis's letter to his POW director. It'll be on the screen behind me. Motsuhiro Wantanabe, as a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner, but also as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God, through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Jesus Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you. Christ said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sugamo Prison. I asked them about you, and I was told that you probably had committed uh, harikiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you and now would hope that you would also become a Christian. Is there someone that has hurt you or harmed you that you need this week to share Jesus Christ with? Sometimes they're the easiest ones to share with, kind of. You love them, but it's, it, it doesn't mean your knees won't shake. Folks, unbroken forgiveness as we, clu- as we conclude this month and this series. We've talked about unbroken grace, unbroken hope, unbroken love, and now unbroken forgiveness. It's this kind of forgiveness that if, if, if it becomes a part of your life, if you are willing to trust that God can repurpose any harm or evil done towards you, repurpose it for your good, just like he did Joseph's. And if you can believe that God can and wants to repurpose your life so that you become a steward of his mercy, his compassion, and his hope, I think the best days are ahead for you. Now, earlier I mentioned the cross. The cross was that very evil event that God turned into something good because Jesus suffered the punishment we deserve on that cross. If you're here and you've never made a decision personally to place your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, you've never, you've never done that. I'm going to give you a chance to here in just a minute. If you're here and, boy, there's, there's someone that has come to mind that you need to reach out to and express forgiveness to, maybe even provide some clarity as to how they hurt you, nothing wrong with that, then I pray if the Holy Spirit's bringing that person to mind that this week you'll, you'll write a letter or have a conversation but you'll do it with kindness. You'll do it with a willingness to be generous, maybe even buy them lunch. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the forgiveness that we 